Welcome to Hit The Real, the podcast where we talk about the entertainment that we consume and what we really think about it. I'm one of your hosts, Michael, and maybe I'm in a different galaxy and you need to get some space whales to find me. Or who knows? And this week I'm joined by my co-host, friend, and the man that I think could be the perfect blend between Mandalorian and Jedi that the galaxy needs. Jesse, how you doing, Jesse? I'm good, man. Uh, man, I have a bad feeling about this. Then, when don't we have a bad feeling about this, Jesse? I'm just saying. I usually lean towards the light. I have irked a couple Mandalorians in my time in Star Wars RPGs. So, man, I'll try, but I feel like I'm a wolf in sheep's clothing or something of that equivalent fair fair okay <laughs> on the other hand i mean mandalorian armor is cool i'll i'll wear some beskar <laughs> which does make me wonder like why um specifically like jedis don't like have like a beskar gauntlet um like on a hand to like supplement their they're fighting and stuff like that. Like, well, maybe we'll touch on a little bit later, but like, it seems like in some fighting techniques with some swords, like having that extra uh, hand to be able to leverage a sword or a block or something like that seems really important. And I feel like a Bestigar gauntlet or some other, you know, blah, 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 Star Wars material that is repellent to lightsabers could be really useful to like give you that extra leverage and a block because you have to like, hold with both hands on one side and block with a sword. Whereas like depictions of like knights and stuff like that, they could like use their other hand with a gauntlet to like hold the sword in place to help block attacks because, you know, a triangle and whatnot is stronger than a, you know, straight line. I would, I don't know, math, but like it, that makes sense to my head. I don't know. I was just, I, I, it was just a thing I was thinking about while watching the show we're going to talk about here. <laughs> I mean, it's a fair observation. I like to think that the more fighting styles that you incorporate into something like Star Wars, particularly as it pertains to the Jedi, you can go a lot of different ways with you know how you do your characters and stuff. But hey, that's just me. I mean... Not everyone may feel that way. I mean, that I think that sums up the entire Star Wars fan base. That's not how everybody feels, but that's how I feel. The whole I'm outraged and outraged because no one else is outraged, but I'm going to be mad anyway type of mindset is uh, it, it is infected in the, the Star Wars fan base. And I have some more thoughts about that we can circle back to but uh yeah i to your point the more fighting styles the better mix it up why should everybody fight the same way uh, yeah i mean that's fair i i, I get that um <laughs> i just yeah i don't know uh, so why don't you yeah let's, let's, let's... On what we're talking about here so <clears throat> yeah so jesse and i are going to be talking about um the new Disney Plus show Ahsoka that just wrapped up here uh, a week or so or two or some time ago. 
uh, and just kind of doing one of our old classic spoiler-free thoughts into spoiler thoughts and state of the fan entertainment system. And there has been a lot of conversation around Ahsoka, as there is with every Star Wars Disney Plus series or really anything Star Wars related that is released these days. So yeah, Michael, for this episode, I I think I want to try and condense the non-spoiler thoughts down a little bit more. So anyone who's been curious about this show, but maybe, you know, wants to see what we think overall before making a decision on whether to watch, in which case, don't worry, friends, we got you. And see if that works out okay. So I, I can take the floor if you're all right with that. Yeah, go for it. So I enjoyed this quite a bit. Um, and I should point out and say ahead of time that the Clone Wars animated series, also by Dave Filoni, who is the showrunner for Ahsoka, is some of my favorite Star Wars content in any medium. Natalie and I have watched it multiple times. You know, Ahsoka is one of our favorite characters, so it's very near and dear to us. But we have all that context from that show and from Ahsoka's earlier life. And finally, this summer, we got around to watching Rebels for the first time, also by Dave Filoni, also animated. And I'm really thankful we did that because I feel like watching Rebels and getting to know these characters, some of whom appear and have either supporting or major roles in Ahsoka is not essential, but necessary to have the full context of everything that you're being presented with. And so for me, you know, I was primed and ready to go for this. And I would say in a way Ahsoka felt grander than some of the other Disney plus star Wars series that we've seen. It felt like there was more at stake here than we've seen in other shows, more classic star Wars, you know, type of, you know, the, the small band of, you know, heroes trying to stand tall against, you know, the overwhelming evil that is lurking out there. And so, that was very familiar to me. I still believe that Rosario Dawson is a good choice for the role of Ahsoka. And I enjoyed her arc in the show, even if I wish they would have allowed her to flex her dramatic muscles a bit more for this role. It's a likable supporting cast. I think the standouts for me were David Tennant as Hu Yang, the, the ancient uh, Jedi uh, I guess he's a protocol droid of some sorts. Not really, but uh, essentially a droid who has trained Jedi for a very long time and assisted with that. He was great. And the late Ray Stevenson as Balin Skull, I thought, were the two standouts of the supporting cast. Stevenson, in particular, was very intriguing to me, just as a fallen Jedi 
who uses the dark side to his advantage, but with different motives than what we've seen previously. So I thought that was a nice change of pace. There's fun action, fun skirmishes, fun lightsaber battles, you know, classic fun Star Wars. It's pizza. You like it. You eat it up. It's satisfying most of the time. Um, one area that I thought they improved in comparison to some other shows where we have seen or movies where the force has been involved is that the force, I think, recaptures some of its mystique in this show. It's not just a black and white entity where, depending on your Metachlorian count, is how capable you may or may not be with the Force. And we'll circle back to that later. And also, you know, what does it mean to be a Jedi or a Force user? What does that, you know, entail about your place in this galaxy? So these are fascinating topics to me. I also heavily felt the influence of the great filmmaker Kurosawa, you know, all over this show, which I thought was fitting because, of course, George Lucas was inspired by Kurosawa's film The Hidden Fortress when he was making the original Star Wars. So I thought that was fitting. We came full circle. Um, you know, coming back to what sort of influenced all this in the very beginning, I thought that was poignant. Um, I do think there are too many characters making their first live action appearance here. I feel many are underused and or underdeveloped, probably a creative choice, but also a continuation of Disney plus content coming out of the oven underbaked, which has been a recurring issue for both Star Wars and Marvel content. Um, and then the payoffs for the groundwork that's being laid here won't be seen for some time, probably. I don't know if they've confirmed yet a season two of Ahsoka. I don't believe they have. I know they also have a movie by Dave Filoni in the works. But, you know, those all feel very far down the line. So it sort of makes the events that transpire here feel a little bit flat and inconclusive. But overall, for me, with that context of Clone Wars and Rebels, this was a fun pizza party. It whet my appetite for what looks to be a delicious main course in the future. I'd have to agree with you on that. I do think it is a a good substantial uh, appetizer um, to keep the, the food uh, wetting your appetite metaphor going here. Um, we always use pizza. So I always serve yeah. it back. <laughs> no, I get you. Yeah. I think uh, I agree with you. It, it does have some interesting pluses and minuses. I agree with you. I think a lot of the characters were interesting. I do think there was a good, we'll say 50 50 split on characters that I found to be good. Um, some felt uh, a little underbaked in certain situations and I'm trying to be nice. Uh, 
but yeah, it overall it felt like it was a fun show. Um, I liked the, the the overall story. I thought was really important and fun and interesting, and the uh, yeah, it, it it felt good. I liked it. You know, it it was okay. It was not the best Star Wars thing, like you kind of said. It did ha it did kind of feel undercooked um, in certain areas of the events that were going on. Um, it felt like there was a, there should be a lot more happening, and a lot more wasn't happening, and I was kind of sad by that. So, <laughs> sure, but yeah, I think you really feel that sense of longing, I guess, for, <laughs> for this to be a bit more substantial, either whether you think there needs to be some better writing in certain episodes, which there probably does, or whether you think Disney needs to stop <laughs> insisting that these shows can work with eight episodes or fewer, which, you know, is something we've, you know, a horse we've beaten to death in multiple <laughs> captures. But regardless, you kind of get, you know, episode four, episode five, you, you reach that point in this series and things are ramping up. And then it feels like we're about to lift off into some, the stratosphere for where the story is really going to take off and reach new heights. And then it has to come back down real quick because there's only a few episodes <laughs> left. So, it's frustrating in that sense, and I I know they've always done Mandalorian with eight episodes, and that's had its pluses and minuses as well. But this is, man, this is a lot of new characters mm -hmm. to the general audience. Luckily for those of us who have watched, you know, what is canon for this universe, uh, and in those animated series luckily for us we know these characters so we have that backstory so we have an understanding of who they are and what they've been through and why these familiar faces and places are significant but if you don't have that you're kind of not presented with enough information in the time allotted to get invested in these characters and to witness them go through any meaningful changes. And even on, on the side of the fence where I do have all the context, I kind of feel certain characters were static over the course of these eight episodes when they need to be moving places from you know, an emotional or moral standpoint and in the progression of their lives as a hero or villain or something in between, they need to get moving to be where they need to be for whatever is coming next. And it kind of feels like this was just a big precursor to whatever that is, you know, coming down the pike next, which is fun, but you know, kind of a lot to ask for people to 
continue with what they're doing, given the limited information that casual audiences were presented with here. Yeah, and I think on that point, I talked to Lindsay about it, who has not watched any of the Clone Wars, any Rebels, anything else like that. And she didn't say she said she didn't feel too lost with everything. Um, sure. Yeah, so she, you know, said that it was OK. Um, and. She didn't feel super like she was like, oh, I missed anything too crucial. She's like, there were definitely times I like looked at you and I could tell that like I wasn't allowed to ask you a question because <laughs> she was like, well, it was like clear that this was an important moment or something like that or like this person or where they were in there. You, you were just going to tell me like we got to watch Clone Wars or uh, Rebels or whatever. And I was like, yeah, I mean, there was quite a few times where I, was, I, I did look at that and was just like, Yep, that that's a moment like you, you would understand if you, you know we had watched uh what's the things together so she gave you the look yeah <laughs> and let, like uh when they go to and this is the spoiler free version still so uh when they go to a certain dark bridgy um you know uh ethereal plane uh jesse in this um right. If you know what, if you know, you know, um, <laughs> and she like kind of like quickly looked at me and I was just like, it's a play. Like it was like, it's too much to explain right here, right now. Like you, I, I can't just simply just be like, oh, by the way, this is a thing. Um, <laughs> I think it's less of an issue with, you know, being overwhelmed with what's happening and not being able to follow the story or, you know, the character's motivation or anything mm -hmm. like that. I, I think they do a, a decent enough job making it accessible in that way to new viewers or folks who haven't watched Clone Wars or Rebels. I think it's more of a, like you said, yeah, this is, this is fine for, for someone who's new, but there's nothing that there's none of those like really strong character moments from who is important in this show to, I think, make those characters resonate with people who are following them on this journey for the first time. Whereas if you've watched Clone Wars or Rebels, you have that built in so your curiosity is going to keep you going because you've already you're already behind these characters but i don't think they gave new audiences enough reasons to you know invest in these people or to sympathize with them or they're just they they feel like pretty typical star wars type characters that you'd see in a disney plus series so i think they're probably just wondering well what what's the big deal about all these folks yeah i i agree there's several characters i feel like were that like you pointed out were standout were interesting where it had intriguing moments and then there were other characters where i kind of felt like they did them dirty um and they i i remember enjoying them a lot more in the uh animated world than i did in this and it's kind of disappointing that that was like my end of it was just like well 
they were kind of terrible and I didn't like them. <laughs> like that was what my thought process was. And I was like, cool. That kind of sucks. <laughs> I'm curious to hear about who those characters are, but yeah, for the sake of the spoiler free section, it, you know, like we both enjoyed it. We said, we, I think if you have not watched those other shows, you still can pick this up and follow along and hopefully, you know, certain aspects of it will hook you and make you want to continue with whatever comes next for those who have been watching all things star wars yeah it's fun i i would recommend it i'm back and forth because i again it feels like we are in that world of the pizza is okay but that should we should get we should expect more from our pizza you know that type of thing and that is true. I also feel that the pizza, a lot of okay pizza together kind of elevates the pizza that proceeds and follows the, the okay pizza you're having right now. <laughs> yeah. When these individual series from Disney and I mean, they haven't, released a film for a while but i found that these series hold up better when you're watching them in the context of a larger story whereas when you take them individually they are just okay it's a fun house built with a bunch of ordinary okay <laughs> bricks and uh, beams and all that so yeah, I I see where you're coming from though. And I think that I think that does it for me for my spoiler free thoughts, bro. I mean, that's fair. Uh, I can I can get behind that. I think yeah. I don't know. It's it's a very it's a good show. I feel like it has a very slow start to it. It takes a little bit for it to get going, which okay. Um I do think that with how slow it is to get going, it does really have a great, like very interesting, uh, like real perk up middle uh, with a pretty solid middle piece, I would say, I guess. Uh, let's grab it. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good show. It's just, unfortunately, kind of sucks at points <laughs> i feel like a lot of shows would be happy with that description <laughs> in day and age but uh yeah i mean go check it out see what you think you've had our spoiler free thoughts miguel anything else before we start digging up the dirt i don't getting into the good stuff i mean i don't think so too really uh i think it's I would say if you had to, if you were picking out episodes or picking out shows to watch, I would say probably uh, Andor is the best Disney Plus um, outside of like the Mandalorian sagas that are going on right now. I feel like, uh, you know, obviously Mandalorian is the best one um, in that, that multiple seasons there. Uh, then I would say Andor, then you got Bo the book of Boba Fett. Uh, and that's just like, we're talking live action canon things. 
that doesn't get into all of the crazy uh, tales of the Jedi or Star Wars visions or anything else like that. So, yeah, just it's just real basic stuff, I think. I would be shocked if we didn't see a character or two from Ahsoka pop up in an episode of Tales of the Jedi at some point. Yeah. <laughs> so it just keeps going around and around, um, but it's fun. Yeah. Um, so if you haven't watched the show, please jump out now, unless you don't care about having shit ruined for you, in which case, continue. Welcome. <laughs> I wanted to say first, um, and I know usually we don't talk about these things until the end of the year, but it's kind of where they left off with his character. It's a little difficult just not to acknowledge the fact that it is really sad that Ray Stevenson passed away before this show debuted. And obviously, you know, just for the fact that he's no longer with us, that sucks. But also the fact that he played a very compelling character in this show as, again, the fallen Jedi Balin Skull, who is using the dark side to his advantage, but not to become a Sith Lord. And he had just a lot of, you know, really interesting thoughts and perspectives on the Force and the Jedi. And I thought he was a breath of fresh air into Star Wars. I dearly wish we had more characters like him. And it's just, it's shitty that his arc in this show literally is a fucking cliffhanger. <laughs> We're not going to get to see him play that character and uh, finish, you know, his story. So RIP Ray, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, I, after we were, um, had wrapped it, and Lindsay was just like, so what's happening? Like, what's going on with blankety blank and then blankety blank? And I was just like, we aren't going to find out. And she was just like, what? And I was just like, I was like, the guy's the guy's dead. And she was just like, how did he die? We saw him on that cliff. And I was like, no, the actor is dead. Like, that's that's the end of his story. That or at least his, you know, depiction of of what's happening is she was like, oh, I liked him. And I was like, yeah, I liked him too. I thought he was, I personally think he's one of the best characters in this entire show. Like, like you were saying, yeah. Jesse, he he's complex. He's uh, really does like show that there's more going on here than a basic understanding, you know, dictates with a lot of how the Jedi orders run. And he's like very, pointed in that being like you know it's complicated the jedi kind of suck but also the world sucks he you know <laughs> yeah yeah they, i said i said it with such relish because like you said he's literally standing on the edge of a cliff yeah so, <laughs> which is i thought a bit ironic given what happened but um yeah man i mean it's a very interesting take and to have characters who are force users who may have you know been jedi formerly or who you know maybe veered towards the dark side but find their way kind of coming towards the middle that gray area of the force where yeah i use the dark side 
you know, as a means to an end, but I'm not trying to be like the next Sith Lord like Palpatine was or anything like that. And that adds to the intrigue of what the Force is and how it should be used and what your place in this galaxy should be if you have these abilities or, you know, maybe, you know, have had a falling out with, you know, the side that you used to be on. So I thought he was great. I thought while he, I think, would technically fall under the umbrella of an antagonist, he did not seem particularly antagonistic against any of the heroes in this show because his motives, his goal, his personal objective was to achieve something that has a much higher purpose than just, you know, bringing back the empire or stopping the empire or anything that we've seen before. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I agree. It was hard to say if he was true. I mean, it's I saw uh, like a video of talking about it or something like that, where it's like, oh, you know, his his lightsaber is red orange, which is not as evil as red, red or, you know, whatever. <laughs> and therefore he's like not a full dark side user and uh, blah, blah, blah and Sith. And I was just like, that's that's like not communicated very well at all. If that's what <laughs> they are going off of um, in the in the show, because he definitely does not seem to throw that out there in any way, shape or form where he's like, I'm not a dark side user. It's just like, oh, well, you didn't really tell us that you just kind of exist. Yeah, I, I don't know how much is there really to analyze other than the fact that when you have a first glance at him and he's wearing dark robes, He's using, you know, some of the dark side force powers. He has what appears to be a red lightsaber. Your mind, you know, with all these decades of Star Wars content is just going to assume Sith. But the more you pay attention to him, what he says, how he reacts to things, even the color of his lightsaber well, he's not everything that he seems to be after that first impression. So I I felt like that was just more of a kind of a visual trick, if you will, to get people thinking one way, but those who are paying attention will know that no, he's he's not like these these other folks. He's he's got a different motive. And if it, there is a whole <laughs> if, it, if ultimately the red orange lightsaber does prove to be something well and that's another example of something that was underwritten in this show but <laughs> that was that was not the impression that i got at least yeah um but he was a great character i don't envy whoever they pick to continue in that role because i can't how can they not can finish that story now given where it left off so yeah i would have to say like i would think that maybe they are able to adapt um his padawan um shin i think is the character's name uh her story uh to something that's more maybe in mind that she realizes that he was right and then they do something where 
she finds his dead body someplace in that tower, uh, that uh, valley. Apparently, there was some sort of far off, like orange, similar color beacon to his, is what I was again. In, thanks, internet <laughs> and people that comb through these videos much more than I do because I was just like, I didn't see anything, and they're just like, yeah, there's this this beacon off in the distance and it's like almost like Mount doom or something. And I was like, Oh, I didn't see that at all. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can see them doing something like that. It will be interesting what they ultimately decide. But for now we had a, a very good character who, Unfortunately, one way or the other is not going to continue in the same fashion. So that was a highlight of the show, but a bummer <laughs> about where we currently find ourselves. Um, you had mentioned, you know, Shen. Did, do you want to get into some of these other characters while we're on that topic? Or Yeah, sure. I can. Do, well, yeah, I think that'd be good. Shen, I felt was one of the underbaked characters. She just doesn't get a whole lot to do other than be the apprentice, ask a few questions, fight Sabine, lather, rinse, repeat. Um, do you do you know what she made me think of? Huh. She made me think of those girls uh, in high school that would hiss at you like a cat. <laughs> <laughs> like that was my instant like sure. when i saw her i was like oh she's a she's like a hiss girl like a cat girl and i think it would have been great if she had hissed at somebody in the show. <laughs> yeah it would have been it would have been pretty good i think um <laughs> but yeah that was uh that was my thought process when i saw her and i was just like wow okay cool uh and i do i think she was cool but I wanted to sure. know more about the armored uh, dust guy. Like, what the? What was that? What, what? Explain that. Like, what was going on there? The Inquisitor guy? Yeah. So, I granted, I promise I did not spend too much time combing through theories or anything. It was mm. something I saw on the internet. But Don't lie to me, Jesse. I would never, in this case... <laughs> Uh, I, I can't go down these rabbit holes with Star Wars because there's just too many extreme opinions, both positive and negative, and it really hurts me and my mental <laughs> health. But my takeaway from that is that What's-Her-Face Morgan used, uh, I think that's her name, I'll double-check, used Night Sister means slash magic to essentially put a dead guy into that inquisitor armor and once he was slain then he just went back to you know the deceased again okay interesting I, um they did stuff like that in clone wars and rebels so that would make I, sense to me if that were the case yeah Otherwise, i guess but like shin like had an emotional connection with him yeah, well, this is, see, <laughs> this is where we're going to keep running into this, where we have so many questions, or why, you know, who is this guy, this dead guy that the Hiss girl was really fond of, and <laughs> we don't have, we don't really have not only just no answers, but not a lot of, like, 
clues or really any information about it. So maybe it was somebody that she was fond of when he was alive, or maybe she's just in that mindset where, hey, I'm I'm glad to be hanging out with this fucking dead guy. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I don't know. Like you were saying, it feels like there was a lot more stories here that were written out that were uh that like are, are gonna pay off next season like who miss boy is and um the connection between and him and his girl and uh the what's her face um uh hera and her son being force sensitive and more about her and the ramifications of thron uh, thron coming back and things and it just it felt like the mid-season uh, finale of them getting to the other galaxy, which I enjoy the fact is like, you just need really big engines or space whales to get to. And then I felt like that would have been like a better final episode. Like if I, I would rather have spent more time flushing out these characters and experiences we got at mm. opposed to them going, okay, we got to get to Thrawn. Okay. Now we have Thrawn. Now he's going to be menacing for a while. I would have rather it been that like mid season where they get to the other planet and there's the reveal of Thrawn and we get a reveal of Ezra. Like that would have been, I feel like more satisfying to me as the season finale. Mm -hmm. than some of these like half baked, weird crab people storyline things. Well, they got to throw in some weird creatures for toys, as is Star Wars law. So. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, but like you could have <laughs> Ezra was there. Like he was with them. We could have easily done weird that. But we spent, I felt like, a lot more time with them than was needed. And then, yeah, yeah I don't know. It just like you were saying. I just feel like a consistent problem that we're running into with these programming is and i think this might hopefully be changing here in the future with kind of i've heard some stuff about like the restructuring and the thought process of the old ceo and the new ceo of like where you know, the old ceo now was like pump these out as fast as you can because yeah. this is what it's going to get people into stuff and the new ceo is like had the was one where we previously had where it was like no Star Wars and Marvel shows on Disney Plus are like are events. They're events to come and see, to come and do this thing. We shouldn't be pumping them out like every few months. It should be something that people want to come and buy into Disney Plus for to get this experience. Not something that happens so often that it almost becomes like anything else out there. So I'm yeah. excited to see if we start moving towards that now kind of that old structure where we're not pumping out a show every few months just yeah. to keep the people hungry and therefore the writing can take a little bit more time and the development can take a little bit more time and i'm excited that we have a uh, writer strike is over and that they've come up with a contract i'm excited that the uh graphic designers are not the graphic designers the uh, animators graphic animators uh cgi animators uh are at disney are unionizing like hell yeah they deserve it they you know as as much as we give shit sometimes for terrible cgi on some of these things i think it's important to note that i'm not giving them you know 
flack for their terrible CGI. I'm giving the uh, evil overlords of them flack for forcing out terrible CGI and being like, no one will notice this. Everybody noticed it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there were a couple of shots in this show where even watching with Natalie, I went, oof, that wasn't good. Whoops. Messed that one up. But um, no, I, it's hard to be even too critical of the writers for this either because we just don't, we can assume, yes, things, you know, could have been restructured a little differently, written a little differently to make this flow a little better so it's not slow start, you know, full throttle, then slowing down again, then cut to credits. But I do think that, like you said, it's, you know, been a continuation of issues in other Disney Plus series. So I would be optimistic that if they're given more leeway, they would produce a better product next time because John Favreau and Dave Filoni have made good Star Wars content in the past. So it, it's a bit of a stretch to assume that they can't, you know, deliver something satisfying here. But let's let's kind of stay with some of the characters a little bit because you had mentioned in the spoiler-free section there were some that irked you. So who pissed you off the most in this show? <laughs> I appreciate you phrasing it like that. Uh, Sabine. Sabine pissed me off the most. She was a whiny child in this, and I didn't like that. It like sure. felt so foreign to me that who was a yes hurt and injured uh, Mandalorian teen in the Rebels uh, show is now this uh, adult uh, that is what I would have expected out of her in the first season, like so mopey so just not the same vibrant character that was before i understand she lost a very dear friend to her uh she lost another very dear friend to her in um you know in a weird abstract didn't actually die but is gone forever type way but it just she felt so foreign to the sabine i remember from rebels that I was annoyed with her. I really didn't like her as a character and was very unhappy with her, pretty much her entire direction in this show. And then, yeah, just her and her relationship with Ahsoka just didn't feel natural. It felt like two people reading dialogue at each other. It never, very few times did it ever actually feel it's interesting to pit two characters together whom, if I recall correctly, and I've only watched Rebels once, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't recall them interacting a whole lot in Rebels. And Ahsoka, by and large, was not in Rebels all that much. Just, you know for one arc in a season and then not a whole lot else beyond that. So it's interesting for even a, I guess a, a seasoned felony like viewer of other things that he's done 
to see these two characters who supposedly have had a, a relationship of some sorts since that show left off. And of course it, you know, spoiler alert for rebels, but it leaves with that cliffhanger of, you know, Ahsoka and Sabine are going to go find Ezra to now they've had that falling out and now they're trying to, I guess, repair, you know, their master Padawan relationship, which was not established at all in rebels. So it just feels like there's something missing from that, that we haven't seen in order to justify why they're so at odds here. And I agree. I, I didn't think their chemistry was great. I thought <laughs> I would have changed some of those scenes a little bit if it were me. Um, on the other hand, I do find the idea of someone coming into their ability to use the force at a later point in their life or someone trying to learn how to use the force and just being really bad at it for a really long time. These are not typically things we get to see with Star Wars. So I understand your point. I think they could have improved some things there, but I do like the idea of how the force manifests itself around these people who are not, you know, force God, like Anakin Skywalker or anybody like that. I mean, yeah. I don't think it redeems the just bad characterization and script. Oh, I, I don't think it does either. I, I, I think it almost makes it worse is that there was an interesting, cause you're right. I do like the idea that not everyone is, uh, you know, a force God, like you said, but it just sucks that the first person that we really see struggling. And even at the end of the show, isn't like, able to do much more than kind of pick up a light, like struggle to pick up a lightsaber in a battle of life and death is just still such a bad character. And it's kind of sad that because it used to, it, you know, would have been cool to see and learn a little bit more about what it's like to be that person that can touch the force, but it has such a weak connection to it for whatever reason. Yeah. I would say, I guess, you know, and not even just, Holy with Sabine either, but you know I I found that I was noticing you know this this trend of how the Force presents itself to people, especially non Jedi and some other characters too. But yeah, Sabine I think was one of those characters that she needed a little script doctoring, as you like to say, and it's it's unfortunate for the actress because I thought there was, you know, to your point, more potential there too. Um, I do like the idea of Hera forming some, I guess, sort of bond with her force sensitive son, who of course, if you have not seen Rebels, you would not know that, you know, uh, Kanan, his father who perished in that series was a Jedi. And so it makes sense that his son would have similar abilities. We've seen that before. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you are a non-force user and you happen to, you know, 
have a child with someone who's very force sensitive or a Jedi, does that then open you up to at least having some connection with the force via this relationship, this love that you have for your son. And I'm not saying it was super well developed. They kind of just hinted at it in one episode, but that idea is intriguing to me and continues what I thought was one of the better parts of this show trying to present the force in a way where it's not just what is your metachlorian count? Oh, you don't have very many. Guess you're never going to be able to use the force. That sucks. <laughs> or wow, I've never seen so many metachlorians in a person. He didn't even have a father. He must be the chosen one. You know, I don't like something as mysterious as the force being boiled down to, you know, this is how you can tell who can use it and who can't because it loses all of its intrigue to me at that point if it's that cut and dry. So this, I thought, was at least a positive step in a direction to where the force is unpredictable and you don't always know when or where or if it's going to form a connection with you. Yeah, I always kind of did like the idea of Jedi being those warrior monks, that it is much more about the training of the mind to access the Force and less of, like you said, the metachlorians. Um, and the idea that any, like with enough training and enough diligence, somebody can become a Force user. And in fact, there are, races that just are simply more aligned with the that 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 force aspect of it um mm -hmm. that that the etherealness of it so i did like the idea that sabine being a mandalorian maybe potentially just purely based on that uh like there are races that are particularly more in touch with it there are going to be races that are less in touch with it and i like the fact that sabine being a mandalorian might be that she just has a, a blockage a natural forming barrier in her genetic code and therefore she struggles a little bit more which you know was fun and interesting i didn't like how they were f so focused on her sucking so much that was kind of a little boring to me but yeah, I don't know. It, it it was nice to see it again be something more than just you got a little lot of little bugs in you, kid. You can move <laughs> things with your mind. You got a lot of bacteria in you, boy. <laughs> You're going places. Yeah, I, I hope to see more of that in the future. That's how the force should be written. And that needs to hopefully be a launching point for how they approach it in their their upcoming projects um let's talk about thrawn real quick and then there was the really great episode in the middle that we'll we can kind of end things on if you're okay with that yeah sounds good i was happy that they chose um the same actor as in rebels to portray thrawn i you know once you hear his voice in one medium, it's kind of weird <laughs> to have somebody else playing him, even though 
it doesn't always work out that neatly. Um, so he, I thought, was portrayed the same way as he was in Rebels, which was mostly good. It is unfortunate that he kind of looks like blue Elon Musk, though. <laughs> Interesting. I didn't think that, but I, I can see it, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, the memes were, were popping up uh. left and right. Um, but uh, no, overall, he is different than other villains in the Star Wars canon that have had a lot of screen time in the past. He is at his very core prides himself on being able to, you know, fully understand who someone is, where they come from, you know, what their culture is. He likes to collect art because that gives him insights into who someone is and what their motives might be. He is all about knowing more about you than you know about yourself. And so that enables him to strategically, you know, outmaneuver his foes and always have the upper hand. So I like the only time he gets mad in this series, in the episodes he was in, is when Sabine tells him you wouldn't understand when they're having a dialogue and he kind of you can kind of see his he gets a little angry at that <laughs> because Thrawn is all about understanding and so for the most part I was happy with how he was presented here I just I would rather have I think to your point just gotten maybe an introduction to Thrawn and then you know that's it until we see him pop up next time or um, you know having him appear in a lot more episodes so we could flush him out more but that wasn't possible in this series so it, it was kind of weird balance but overall i was happy with his portrayal i felt he was a little i maybe just because i'm misremembering but i i thought thrawn was supposed to be like always like like three steps ahead type guy um and it just consistently felt like his overall goal was to get the rocks on the ship and like he was making a big deal about how he's like slowing them down and stuff. And I still just was like, okay, dude, like you, you kind of slowed them down, but like it, 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 it just felt like there was a lot of ponderousness, like where do they could just go and throw out some tie fighters and just shoot at them. They knew where they were. Like, why didn't they just shoot them with tie fighters? It seemed pretty effective when they did use that strategy. Yeah. I don't know. I just consistently was looking at it and going, huh? Interesting interesting he didn't feel like as like mastermind like it literally felt like they thwarted him at every endeavor they he just was slowing them down and if that was his overall goal it just didn't see, like he seemed to care more about a few other things too and that's where i was kind of getting confused with his character depiction i would say that is more consistent with how he was portrayed in rebels than what i remember about him remember about him from the heir to the empire okay novels from I, back when okay because that's that was maybe that's why i'm getting mixed up because i was i think i i did rebels then era in my like in in the reading and stuff i was doing of it 
So, okay, maybe maybe I'm just misremembering the entire thing. It's interesting to me because I know that Fabro and Filoni have consulted with Timothy Zahn, who is the author of that trilogy of novels, and they have made it a point that they want to portray him correctly. Mm -hmm. Zahn seems happy with how Thrawn has been portrayed in Rebels and here. And I, you know, like I said, I enjoyed his character in the show. But when I watched Rebels, I, in the back of my mind, thought, kind of seems like this guy is, you know, more of a B-level, you know, Empire type villain than he is, you know, the bad motherfucker that I remember from Heir to the Empire trilogy, who was always three steps ahead. Um, so I, I don't know if that was a shift in how formidable they wanted him to be, or maybe, I don't know. But yeah, I, I can see that, where that confusion comes from. Okay, cool. Because, yeah, I may, and that's maybe it is that I did where you're talking about doing uh, the books, his introductory books into um, Rebels. I did the reverse where I watched Rebels before I mm -hmm. watched it or I read the books. And so now I'm like, I'm like, wasn't he like this just like crazy 40 chess? Like, you know, he, he was the, the epitome of the, uh, you know, uh, Xanatos Gambit, where, you know, I, you know, you win, I lose, no matter what happens, I'm always winning type thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. You accomplish your goal, but unbeknownst to you, you played right into my hand. The whole time. Here's the reveal. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's the throng from the books, from the show, and from here. He seems a step above any other, you know, not that there's been that many notable <laughs> like empire admirals or generals or what have you, because we're always so focused on the Sith Lords. But yeah, I mean, he's a step above those other chumps, but I mean, he's not, he's not like as cunning as another Palpatine or anything like that. Yes. Yeah. Always my impression of him okay. and the, and watching him on screen. Yeah. Which could be disappointing. I don't know. We'll see what they do with him next. But uh, <laughs> by and large, I enjoyed him in this show. But my favorite episode was episode five of Ahsoka. And that was the world between worlds and that was the return of Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker once more. Yeah, I know. I've, he, he's been popping up a lot here. Uh... You remember when we were doing the Flash episode, and I don't want you to remember too much about that. <laughs> it's very painful to me still, but we talked a lot about, you know, it was nice to see Michael Keaton having fun again, playing Batman. If nothing else, the guy was having fun. And I felt similarly here for Hayden Christensen. It did seem like he was enjoying himself getting to portray the more Clone Wars 
version of Anakin as opposed to what George Lucas wrote for him in, in the prequels. Um, he seemed to really relish being able to dive into this character who has gained more prestige since, you know, Revenge of the Sith all these years ago. And it really seemed like it was kind of a redemption, a redemption opportunity for him, if you will, as an actor to show that, no, he can play this character to a level that, you know, is going to work and not just spawn a litany of videos about, you know, cinema sins or anything like that. Yeah. But also that the fans have really enjoyed seeing him back and he seems like he's happy to be back. And it's just, you know, it, it feels good. What can you say? I mean, it's just nice to see him not be terrible and not complain about sand. I enjoy that. But it was really great because I always was curious about ever since they... I say they, but ever since George Lucas uh, replaced the original Forest Ghost Anakin with Hayden Christensen in the end of Return of the Jedi, I was always curious, like, okay, what would a Force Ghost Anakin Skywalker even look like considering he's committed countless atrocities across <laughs> the galaxy in the name of the <laughs> Empire? <laughs> so... That was very fascinating to me. And what would it look like if he were to, you know, have another interaction with Ahsoka again after their last encounter was not a very friendly one, to say the least. And so I thought it was interesting what he did in The World Between Worlds, which was to essentially force Ahsoka to face her fears of, well, you were someone that I looked up to, you know, my whole, you know, my whole time, the entire time I was with the Jedi, essentially. And then look what happened to you. So what's going to happen to me if I continue to try and go down this path of whatever wherever the force is going to lead me. So I, I thought it worked really well. It was cool to see a lot of these familiar, again, places and faces from Clone Wars and live action and just the little tricks that they played to it's Anakin in one shot. And then it's kind of, they're kind of flashing in Vader and, but it's not, Foley Vader, but it's still Anakin Skywalker, but oh, now it's Anakin Skywalker, and he's just evil, but he's not Darth Vader. Like They did a lot of cool things there from a visual standpoint, and I think that was easily uh, the best episode for me, start to finish. Yeah, Lindsay did have some questions about what was going on there. Lindsay. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. And then I was just like the force, just just accept it and we'll move on. <laughs> well, when he is introducing himself to her and, you know, 
he says he has training for her and you know she's kind of confused by this and he goes you know no one is you know too old no one is ever too old to learn snips and then nat just got a real sad look on her face and kind of looked over at me so you know, i knew that that hit her right in the feels but uh that was because i was feeling that way too so it was i'd say the episode that resonated with both of us the most and very very master skywalker-esque for him to do something unorthodox to kind of push her out of her comfort zone and go beyond what even the jedi would recommend in this situation but it's all for the service of he's not trying to hurt her or do anything malicious he's simply he knows what he's done and who he was and what he became but dwelling on all that isn't going to be helpful right now so he's taking an extreme measure to get her back in the fight and where she needs to be and you know to help her which is what he always did in the clone wars Yeah, how nice. Means more to some than others, but uh, I feel you. Um, but it was just good. It, I thought, again, visually and you know, from a spectacle standpoint, I thought that was the peak of the series. And then we never really got to that point again for me, even with the introduction of Thrawn and the reveal of Ezra, who is space Jesus now, I guess. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was a thing. That was a thing. I mean, he's a dashing man. I'll give him that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I so I just wanted to touch on that real quick. I thought it was you know a powerful episode for you know people who love the Clone Wars, and it was just cool to see. Hayden Christensen getting to portray that Anakin mm -hmm. rather than the one that he was given in the prequels. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. All right. Well, Jesse, do you have any other thoughts you'd like to share? Are you, are you, you good here? No, I think that covers most of what i wanted to touch on um again i really did enjoy the kurosawa influences from the landscape to you know ahsoka taking more of a samurai stance versus Balin's more traditional knight stance during their duels i thought that was a nice touch it's nice to see that man's influence still being felt in star wars because star wars probably would not exist without him so very cool. Also, my biggest complaint for the show as a whole, not enough chopper, man. We need more war crimes from the chop man. Yeah. He 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 he, he did seem to be uh lacking in his classic kill all humans uh <laughs> motif. Yeah, yeah. Death to all humans. Mm-hmm. We love him. <laughs> we love a sassy droid with a penchant for violence. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah man. I'm good. We'll see what happens next. Who knows when, though? Yeah, very true. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> the world of uh, you know, this told everything is so... All in the service of the Empire. So, oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we can wrap it up here. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Hit the Reel, the podcast where we talk about the entertainment that we consume and what we really think about it. We try to get this podcast out weekly, usually on Saturdays, sometimes on Sundays, uh, depending on how much I'm doing that weekend or how I'm feeling. Uh, but Hey, if we got something wrong or we missed something in the Ahsoka show, because I definitely think there was a lot of little small things that probably got missed. Uh, feel free. Let us know at hit the real podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's hit the real podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and uh, feel free to take a look at our Patreon in the description of the episode. We'd love the support and like always, Hey, keep it real. Mm-hmm.